Matthew chapter 7, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in verse number 6. Now, verses 1 through 5, Jesus talks about hypocrisy. He says, how dare you go pulling the moat out of someone else's eye when you've got a beam or a telephone pole hanging out of your eye. And then verse 7, he starts talking about prayer. So just sandwiched right in between these two thoughts is almost a sidebar of a thought where Jesus throws this out and uh, is telling us this truth right here, uh, right here in verse 6. Look here with me. Let's read it together. Ready? Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. The title of the sermon this morning as we continue our series, Cautions, is this command, Handle Holy Things with Care. Handle holy things with care. Those things which are holy, those things which would be labeled as pearls, we need to handle them carefully. Let's pray. Lord God, help us as we look at this uh, truth. Lord, I've preached this sermon once already this morning. And so, Lord, the people in front of me may need a little bit different application than the folks at 815 did. And so, I pray that I would be yielded to you and you would use me as an instrument to speak specifically to the needs of each one here today in front of me. And Lord, even those watching online, I do pray for uh, the listener, Lord, that each listener would uh, be tuned in the entire sermon. There wouldn't be any daydreaming or surfing the web or distractions, but Lord, each one would be dialed in and receive exactly from the Bible what you have today. Be with us today, Lord. May we bless you by the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what does it mean to handle something with great care? Maybe you have shipped a package with delicate items on the inside, and uh, you go out of your way to make sure that those items are carefully prepared for their journey in the back of a box truck or an 18-wheeler. Many of you know my wife has an online shop, and so we do a lot of shipping of items out of our our home there, and uh, we are very familiar with bubble wrap. Oh, we have bubble wrap all over the place. In fact, you know you run your own shop when you go to Home Depot and see a sale on bubble wrap and you get excited, all right? And that was the case. I was walking through Home Depot a few weeks back and I ended up buying every roll of bubble, every package of bubble wrap they had because it was like, it was like 80% off or something. And so normally, you know, it ended up being way cheap. So uh, we've got, we've got rolls of bubble wrap everywhere. You know, when you're sending something in the mail, uh, a package in the mail and you've got a delicate item, you take the time and wrap it in newspaper, wrap it in bubble wrap and you carefully get it situated in the box and you pick the right size box and uh, you, you, you put, you know, two miles of tape around the box to make sure that it, it doesn't come open and trip. And, and then you, you take the time to very carefully write something on the outside of that box. What is it that you write? You write the word fragile. And if you're like me, you write it all over every side of the box. That way the courier doesn't get confused and, and, and ignore it, right? And you write it over, and then you put it in the mail only to see them handle it like this. Ha <laughs> 
We've had people reach out to us and say, my item is broken. And what we want to say is contact the carrier, right? They probably did that. And so, uh, listen, when we talk about handling holy things with care, we're not talking about just throwing them around and being flippant about them. Let me come at this from yet another angle. Have you ever written an important letter to someone and maybe you, you wrote and rewrote the letter, you typed and retyped the letter, and, and you're, re, you're rewording things uh, for clarity, and, and, and you want to express precisely what it is that you want them to get. And so uh, you, you pour over the letter, and before you, you click send on that email, or you print and put it in an envelope, or, uh, or, or, or put the stamp on it and drop it in the mail, you have poured over that letter so much that you almost have it memorized. You really want to get the point across. And so over and over again, you, you write and you rewrite and you read and you reread and you reword and you restructure for clarity's sake. Why are you doing that? Because you know that if the person gets that letter and they read it with great attention to detail, that it can either help enhance your relationship or maybe convey some form of information that will help better their life. And uh, you put that in the, in the mail only to find out that it completely goes unread or the first line is read and it's set down and it, it's not paid attention to. Understand that this is a description of the Bible. The Bible. Now, God is perfect, so only needed to write it once. But God wrote the Bible carefully for the purpose, for the purpose of enhancing your life, for the purpose of making you better, for the purpose of showing you your way to God and showing you your way to salvation and then showing your way to a life full of blessing and showing you to a life that brings Him glory and Him honor because He is the one that is worthy of that. How do you treat your Bible? How do you treat things that are holy? Do you treasure the Word of God? Do you pour over its pages? Do you handle this holy book and its precepts with great care? I mentioned last week how that someone has, several someones have said to me, well, you, you give the advice of read your Bible and pray as though that's the fix-all to all of life's problems. And a pastor, it's just not quite that simple. And I agree with that statement, but here's what I would say. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to care about what the, what the Scripture says and put it into practice. If I could uh, illustrate this way, let's say that you had uh, poor health and uh, you had bad eating habits, and you were very much overweight because of those eating habits, and uh, the doctor is saying to you, here is a medical journal for your condition. If you'll read this journal and you'll put it into practice, then your health will improve. And in that medical journal are some lifestyle changes that you need to make, but you refuse to make them. And you go back to the doctor and say, well, you know what, this journal is worthless. Is it the journal that's worthless or is it the fact that you won't actually do what the journal says that's worthless? We say, well, I tried reading my Bible and it didn't work. It didn't fix my problems. It, it didn't make my life better. It, it didn't help me along life's journey. Is it the Word of God or is it our unwillingness to make the changes and buy in? 
to everything that it says. And you can call me a simple-minded fool if you please, but I just decided a long time ago that that book right there sitting on the pulpit in front of me or that book sitting in your lap right now is perfect and it was written by a holy God with my best intent and heart and I might as well just buy all the way in and understand it and read it and go forth and do my very best to live it. Handle holy things with care. My proposition this morning is that many churchgoers and many self-proclaimed Christians are careless with wisdom contained in God's Word. Uh, Many leave the resources of God's Word totally untapped. You have a country who's wallering in poverty. they got nothing. And yet they have oil right under their feet that's untapped. You'd say, look, you could bring these people in your nation out of poverty if you just invest a little money in capital and dig down and pull the resources out of the ground and, and sell them to the world. Your, your people would go from rags to riches overnight. Uh, just uh, access those untapped resources. And you, my friend, if your life is shallow and broken, you have untapped resources in the Bible. If you'll just dig down a little bit, if you'll just understand a little bit, if you'll just work to uh, follow, fall in with God's Word, what you'll find is that your life will be filled with joy and peace and God's power in so many ways. Listen to me this morning. Many folks treat the pearls of the Bible like a pig would treat those same pearls. How do pigs treat pearls? Well, they don't care about them. You put a string of pearls on a pig, eventually they're going to knock those pearls off and they're going to crush them down into the mud. They do not value them. Instead, They trample them. Let's take our Bibles this morning out of Matthew 7, 6. We're going to be in Matthew 7, 6 repeatedly. And then we're going to be in the books of Psalms and Proverbs quite a bit this morning. And so I would recommend you stick a bookmark in Proverbs 1 uh, or the book of Proverbs, anywhere in the book of Proverbs, because we're going to be in and out of the book of Proverbs and somewhat Psalm today. And uh, uh, use your Bibles with me this morning. Now, if you don't know your way around your Bible real well, just hold your place in Matthew 7, 6, because that will be our point of reference throughout the sermon. If you received a bulletin on the way in, on the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take notes as you go along here. All right, let's jump in here. Number one this morning, notice the depravity of sinners. The depravity of sinners. Being the fact that you are born under sin, you are uh, depraved. Meaning you have a bend toward the nastiness of sin. And so let's get right into it this morning. Notice letter A. Dogs and their vomits. Dogs and their vomit. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. All right, under the dogs. I am a dog lover. Any dog lovers here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a dog lover. All right, you can put your hands down. How many here own more than one dog? Anybody here? Wow, a lot of people here own more than one dog. That's fantastic. Um, uh, I have a... Uh, let me show you a picture here of my golden doodle. This is Ginger. Okay? Uh, she is a sweet, sweet girl. She really is. She loves to bark at squirrels and chipmunks and skunks. Yes, we have a skunk story. Uh, we want, I'll, I'll save that for another time. Uh, she got mixed up with a skunk a few weeks back. Uh, she also loves to bark ferociously. Look at me and Ginger there. She loves to bark ferociously when someone rings the doorbell 
and or knocks on the door. But when the person walks in the door, she just licks him to death. Uh, she's never bitten anyone. I don't know that she's capable of biting anyone. You could come to my house and stab me to death, and she'd probably just lick your hand afterwards. All right? Uh, she's uh, she is a sweet, sweet dog. And uh, we, we love her. She's become part of our family. But let me just say as a dog owner that dogs are disgusting. They are disgusting. All right? Listen to Proverbs 26.11. The Bible says this, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Um, I don't care how sweet or cute your dog is. She's not, it's not cuter than mine. Amen? Uh, I don't care how sweet or cute your dog is. If you leave a dog around vomit, that dog is going to eat the vomit. You say, that's gross. I know. That's the point Jesus is making here in Matthew 7. Alright? Um, along with our dog, Ginger, we also own a cat named Alfonso. It's not Alfonso. That's, that's gringo English. Alright? My wife is from Peru, and so it's a Spanish cat. It's not really, but we call him Alfonso. You have to say Alfonso. Everybody say Alfonso. Okay, Alfonso. Right, all right. Work on that Spanish accent, all right? Um, You know what Ginger likes to do? She loves to eat out of the kitty litter box. How many of you ready to go eat lunch? Amen? Um... Now, I know I'm being over the top even, but I'm trying to make a point. Um, Listen, it doesn't matter how hard we work to keep her out of there. If if we're not home and and she has someone left, you know, a door open and she has access, we come home and she's got wet kitty litter around her mouth. And I won't pet her for like two weeks, you know. It's just, it's gross. Um, Look... Listen again to Proverbs 26.11. Listen. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. You and I are bent towards sin and its depravity. And even if you have been saved out of sin for years, there is still a natural bend for you to go right back into folly. Into sin. And God views you going back to sin the way He views me, the way I view rather Ginger running back to that box. Let me, let me, let me get specific here. What types of jokes does your flesh enjoy? Probably the ones that are edgy. Probably the ones that push the limit of your own morality. What types of food does your flesh like to eat? If you're like me, the ones that are terrible for your health. You know what? I like salad, but I put a gallon of ranch on top of it. Amen? And I watch my wife sit there with her, you know, olive oil and and lemon and salt and pepper, and I'm like, that's nasty. I don't... Why would you... It's healthy. I, exactly. Okay. Uh, my flesh enjoys eating things. How many of you here like McDonald's? Be honest with yourself. All right. Bunch of people lying in this room right now. All right. Uh, a lot of people should have had their raise, hands raised that didn't. Um, 
We enjoy eating things that are not good for our flesh. Listen, what types of drinks? What types of drinks does your flesh enjoy? Probably the drinks that rot out your insides. That are not good for your kidneys or your liver. Um, I enjoy an iced mocha latte from Dunkin' Donuts. Amen? Not good for me. I have to be careful on that. What type of entertainment does your flesh enjoy? Your flesh. Probably movies and TV shows filled with bad language, bedroom scenes, violence, and sinful agendas. What type of news does your flesh like to consume? News that is filled with negativity and fear. What type of conversations does your flesh tend to lean toward? That which is filled with complaining or gossip or disagreement. What type of social media posts pique the interest of your flesh? Those which either boost your own ego or tear other people down generally are the ones that our flesh tends to like. What am I getting at? We are just like those dogs that return back to their vomit, or to return to the vomit. If you're saved, then God has saved you. Listen, He has saved you from lust, discontentment, a potty mouth. He has saved you from drugs and alcohol. He has saved you from the comparison game where you're trying, constantly trying to be a, a member of the caste system where I'm better than these and I'm not as good as those. That's fooey. Get that out of here. God's not called you to a life of comparison. He's not called you to a life of destructive behavior. He's called you away from pride. And when you go running back to these things, you are dipping your mouth in the vomit of your own sin you are participating in the abominable actions as part of your everyday life. Uh, dogs and their vomit. Letter B, let's look at pigs and their values. The Bible says back in Matthew 7, 6, that we are not to cast our pearls before swine. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7. Proverbs 1 and verse number 7. The Bible says there, I'll begin reading. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Finish the verse with me, church. But fools despise wisdom and destruction. Pigs are equivalent to fools. They despise wisdom and instruction. How about chapter 24 and verse 9? Can you turn over there with me? Chapter 24 and verse 9. Proverbs chapter 24. Look at verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. Read the rest of the verse with me. And the scorner is an abomination to men. Now there's a double meaning in the back half of this verse. To a scorner, someone who scoffs or hates those who try to do right and lead those to do right, the scorner hates 
leaders. They hate men who want to do right. But furthermore, to men who want to uh, rebuke a scorner, the lifestyle of a scorner is an abomination to them. The scorner cannot stand the prudent guide, and the prudent guide really cannot stand the behavior of a scorner. So, um, have, how many? Let me ask you this morning: How many of you have ever visited a pig farm? Raise your hand if you've ever visited a pig farm. Oh, not as many as I thought, all right? Uh, one thing you know about a pig farm is when you get close, you, you smell it from a long ways away. You know when you're walking up on a pig farm, and it is, it is terrible. Um, pigs, in a word, are gross. They're disgusting. Um, when I went to visit, I've been to Peru several times visiting my wife's family, and there are people who have pet pigs, just own a pet pig. And I uh, knew um, a man at uh, one church ministry I worked at, he owned a pig. And man, pigs are bullish, they're stubborn, they're mean. Um, Pigs will eat just about anything. What do you do with a rotten apple core? You give it to the pig. He'll eat the whole thing. Uh, how about moldy potatoes? You give them to the pigs. Uh, what about that cocktail of sour milk, Kool-Aid, flat soda, and expired apple juice? You, you give it to the pigs. It's slop. They, 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 they eat it up. Now, um, pigs love slop. They love it. They waller in it. They roll around in it. They can't get enough of it. They eat it. They value it. In fact, pigs will eat anything. And I mean anything. You didn't hear it from me, but if you want to get rid of a dead body, they'll eat the whole thing. I mean the whole thing. And no, I'm not speaking from experience for the record, alright? Um, I think it's vin- I think it's just a vengefulness. We eat a lot of bacon. Amen? We eat them, and then they, so they've decided they want to eat us back, alright? Um, the pigs are just like fools. They find no value in things that have real worth. Listen to me this morning. Fools do not appreciate the Bible. Fools don't appreciate the Bible. They just don't. Um, they don't read it. They don't. They, they'll barely open their Bible during a church service. And only if you know someone makes them. They, they don't have any appreciation for the fact that the Creator of the whole world wrote a love letter to you to help you better your life. Eh, whatever. There's just no, no taste for it. No desire for it. Um, no appreciation. Fools don't appreciate godly parents or authority. They don't. They don't want a mom or dad telling them what to do. They don't want a youth pastor or a youth pastor's wife telling them that they're wrong. They don't. They don't want a teacher at school telling them to get in line and get in order. They bucket that. They don't want a police officer telling them, hey, you can't do that. You can't behave that way. They don't want a pastor standing up and telling them, thus saith the Lord, and you need to get your life in order. They don't like it. Because they don't like their godly parents and they don't like any authority. Uh, fools are like pigs. They don't appreciate godly influences. 
Uh, I have worked hard with my own children to try to put them around people who will be godly influences. And you know what fools don't want? They don't want godly influences. They want to hang out with scorners. And in fact, if you put them around godly influences, they'll try to turn them into scorners. Fools don't appreciate preaching and teaching. They don't. They find preaching boring. They find teaching boring. Why don't more people go to church? Well, I think there's a handful of reasons for that. And it's a very nuanced and complicated issue. I think most churches, if I can just be honest, I think most churches are boring. They just are. And when I use the word churches, I mean uh, more broadly. And it's because they're not really preaching the Bible. Not preaching the Bible. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to go to church and hear some man stand up and give his opinion for 45 minutes. But I do want to go to church where someone uses the Bible to tell the truth. Amen? Because this is the Word of God, and it should be held high. But beyond that, many people don't seek out a gospel-preaching church, a Bible-preaching church, because they don't want to be told what to do. They're living their life in rebellion, and they don't want to put themselves under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. They'd rather roll around in the mud of their sin. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, sinners are like pigs. They leap into sin and they love it. Whereas Christians ought to lap into sin, and when they do, they ought to loathe it. They ought to hate it. And you know what? A lot of people are like those pigs. They run home and they turn on the filth of Hollywood and they wallow around in the filth of Hollywood. They run to work and their language is no different than the people at work. They laugh at all the dirty jokes. They tell all kinds of jokes that are wrong. They act one way at church and then they come, uh, uh, go back to work in their home and they have a completely different set of values that they follow. They're like pigs wallowing in the mud of sin. Number one, we see the depravity of sinners. Number two, notice the discernment of the just. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 7. Again, stick a marker where you are in Proverbs there. We'll be back into that part of the Bible here shortly. Uh, Go back to Matthew chapter 7 with me and look down at verse number 6. Look here. The Bible says, Give not that which is holy, that which is holy, under the the pigs, neither cast ye your, your pearls, your pearls, before swine. Let's take a few minutes to talk about that which is holy. We sing holy, holy, holy this morning. We know that God the Father is holy. and We know that God the Son is holy. We know that God the Holy Ghost, it's in His name, He is holy. We know that the Bible is a holy book. It is the Holy Bible. It is the written uh, uh, version of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living Word and this is the written Word. And so we're told to uh, be careful with those things that are holy and those things which are pearls. Notice about the just or the righteous, that letter A, they cherish God's Word. They cherish God's Word. Uh, Turn in your Bibles over to Psalm 119 with me. Psalm 119 and verse number 97. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, uh, that would be one book before Proverbs where we just were. If you just close your Bible and open to the middle, probably you'll be in the book of Psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter. Now, uh, I have become of the opinion in the last handful of years that it is likely Daniel the prophet wrote this chapter of the Bible. And I think you'll see in verses 97 through 104 a very good case 
for that to be made. If you know your Bible well and you know the life and story of Daniel, I think you can see some hints of Daniel's life here. Other, the other popular option or more popular option is David. It is also likely that David could have written it. But look with me at 97 and see how uh, Daniel, possibly Daniel, is talking about how the Bible has made his life better as he has cherished it. Look at 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Uh, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. It was said about Daniel, he was ten times more excellent than all of the rest of those brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Wiser than the enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding, he says, than all my teachers, for uh, thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Read 104 with me. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now, keep in mind here that uh, if Daniel wrote this chapter, he is a man who is brought into captivity as a teenager. Brought into captivity as a teenager. His parents were killed. He's brought into the palace in Babylon to be one of the uh, wise men that are raised there. Likely he was turned into a eunuch and uh, so he could not uh, have children. And his whole life was to focus on the arts. And his whole life was to be an advisor to the king. He was supposed to be part of the top uh, 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 class of, of intelligent people coming out of Israel there meant to come in and help the king. And you know what Daniel did? Daniel gave his whole life to falling in love with the Bible so that he would be elevated as a result anyway. He became elevated in that kingdom. And you know what? By falling in love with God's Word, uh, he had to live in a time of great hostility toward those who had his own faith, yet he still fell in love with the laws of God. He fell in love with the Word of God. He fell in love with the precepts of God. He meditated on them. He thought about them. He fell in love with them. And as a result, his whole life was made better. In fact, he would rule as a secondary king or as a leader within that nation all the way through the rest of his life, surviving three different kingdoms. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Listen, uh, you can still love the filth of this world, but you cannot love the filth of this world and love and appreciate and handle with great care those things that are holy. At some point, you're going to have to fall out of love with the filth of this world and the mud of this world. And you're going to have to fall in love with the righteousness of, of Christ and the riches of the Word of God. You're going to have to learn to embrace them and love them and make them the song of your heart sweeter in your mouth than even a honeycomb. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, 
But the instruction of fools is a fo- is, is folly. The, the Bible says understanding. Here we go. It's a wellspring of life. Where do we get understanding? Well, we get understanding from this book right here. Uh, this is the Word of God that gives us the wisdom to know how to move. What is the Bible? What is the Bible to me? What ought be the Bible be to each of us? Listen, God's Word, listen up this morning. God's Word teaches us how to love. It teaches us how to love. You've heard me repeat this over and over again, but life is all about relationships. You show me a person that has deep, rich relationships, I'll show you a person who is rich in this world. You show me a person who is poor in relationships, I'll show you someone who is poor in this world. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care how many garages are attached to your house. If you're poor in relationships, you are poor. How do you have deep, rich relationships? You must learn how to love. Most of humanity is very good at loving themselves. They look out for number one. They take advantage of others so that they themselves can have more. You know what this world teaches you is lust. God's Word teaches you how to love. I thank God for my wife. She's up in Spanish ministry this morning, but I thank God for my wife. We've been married for 16 years, and I thought I loved her as much as I possibly could love her the day I married her. But boy, every day I have lived with her, I have learned how to love her more and more and more. And do you know why my uh, relationship with my wife has gotten stronger over the years? Is because I have submitted myself to the principles of the Bible. And I've learned to love my wife the way God has commanded me to. I have picked up books every year I've been married that expound and explain how to love a woman uh, the way God uh, uh, teaches in the Bible. And I have learned from that. And my wife, to her credit, has worked hard to follow God's model of how to love me and how to love our kids. And uh, listen, now all of the relationships I have in life that are deep and rich and full of goodness is because God's Word teaches us how to love. Satan will teach you how to lust. The world will teach you how to lust. Can I tell you what Hollywood's definition of love is? It's a bedroom. It's a bedroom. And that's why we have so much brokenness in this world today. God's Word will teach you how to love. You know what God's Word also gives you? It offers you incredible wisdom. Incredible wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom a little bit more in just a moment here. But uh, listen, you need wisdom to navigate through life's choices. Whether it's the mundane of how to handle a, a small situation. And did you know this, that all of the little situations added up together make up the whole? You make, little, you make little decisions well, you're going to have a high quality of life. You make a bunch of really little poor decisions, you're going to have a poor quality of life. God's Word is filled with wisdom. Do you know that... uh, Well, I'll save that for later in the sermon. God's Word also teaches us truth. And truth sets us free. It sets us free. The Holy Bible is a wellspring of life. And when we read it, and we go forth and live it, we reap the benefits from it. What do the just... Do Well, they cherish God's Word. Letter B, we see they cultivate God's wisdom. They 
cultivate uh, God's wisdom. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls, your pearls before uh, swine. Uh, this is really fascinating here. How are pearls formed? How are pearls formed? Well, scientifically we know that a tiny piece of sand or dirt acts as an irritant or an intruder, and it comes into a shelled mollusk, and uh, that mollusk will secrete uh, a saliva-type liquid that will cover over that piece of sand in order to try to eject it, to get rid of it. And if that does not work, it will continue to eject that uh, or secrete that saliva-type material that will cover and cover and cover and cover. And when they take that shell mollusk off the bottom of the ocean and they open it up, that piece of irritant has turned into a beautiful pearl, a beautiful pearl. So we gather from that that pearls are a result of problems. Pearls are a result of problems. As God allows problems into your life, guess what? Those problems, if you handle them God's way, they could be turned into problems. Now turn over to Proverbs chapter 9 and look with me at verse number 6. And we'll see here that uh, God wants us to be men and women who are wise with godly wisdom because we are after the pearls of, of, of great price. Look with me at Proverbs 9 and look at verse 6. I'll begin reading. We're going to read down through verse 10. It says, Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. In contrast, verse 7, He that reproveth the scorner giveth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth, uh, giveth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will Love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. All right, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you like to be reproved? Reproved. Now, what does that mean? All right? Repuve, reprove, rather, is the soft version. This is... Someone coming up along your side and putting their arm around your shoulder and saying, hey, let's change directions a little bit. Okay? Because where you're going, I don't believe that's healthy. Hey, why don't we, uh, it's a soft recommendation. Why don't we try walking this way in life? You know, I've met plenty of people that I've tried to gently put my arm around their shoulder and guide them in a better direction and they, they, they buck. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm going this way. I, I don't care what's down that road. I don't care what destruction awaits me. I'll skip those consequences because I'm a buck. Leave, leave me alone. I'm going this direction. Do you, do you mind being reproved? It's the idea of removing things in your life that are taking away from you uh, nutrients and strength to be the best version of yourself. But then the Bible doesn't just talk about being reproved in this chapter. Look at verse number 8 again. Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Look at that next word. Rebuke a wise man. If you don't like being reproved, then I know you don't like being rebuked. What does it mean to be rebuked? This is when someone calls you on the carpet for your behavior. 
Been a handful of times in my marriage where I've said or done something that was out of bounds. I mean, way past the pale. And my wife has called me on the carpet and nailed me to the wall for it. And you know what? She was right. You know what I didn't like? I didn't like that. Nobody's flesh likes to be reproved or rebuked. But if you are a wise man and you're in search for wisdom, or you're a wise woman, and you're in search for wisdom, then you can handle rebuke, because you know that person is out to help you. How about corporate rebuke? When you're in church, and the guest speaker, or the pastor, or you're in a life group, and the life group leader gets on some truth that your life is in direct contradiction to, and they're really, I mean, they're really uh, picking it up, putting it down. Uh, I mean, they're preaching the paint off the walls. I don't like that. Well, of course you don't. But if you are in search for truth, watch this now, watch this, watch this. If this is truth, and these are my opinions, are you listening? I want to bring all my opinions in line with truth. Alright? So, if this is the truth, and, 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 and by the way, we're talking about absolute truth. Alright? We believe in absolute truth here. 2 plus 2 is 4, correct? That's not ambiguous. That's not up for debate. 2 plus 2 is 4. Okay, the sky, well, we're not going to get into the sky because that, that's a little more uh, difficult. Alright? But 2 plus 2 is 4. I was going to say the Pope is Catholic, but anymore it's hard to know, isn't it? Um, but uh, here you have truth, absolute truth, alright? Here are my opinions. If you come along and you show me why my opinion or my lifestyle is wrong, then I want to move that opinion or lifestyle in line with truth. Do you know why? Because truth makes you free. So where I'm out of bounds, where I'm out of line, I want to move in line with truth. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who you knew was wrong and you knew they knew they were wrong and they just dug in their heels and just doubled down because of pride? How many of you have been that person at one point in your life? How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Boy, it's bad when a husband and wife both raise their hand. I mean, that's a rocky marriage right there. We have a Bible that is filled with stories. Do you know why God put so many stories in the Bible? So that we know how not to do it sometimes. You know, one of the reasons why I have never even come close to cheating on my wife is because of 2 Samuel 11 and the story of David and Bathsheba. And I saw in God's Word as a little boy the pain and the heartache and the, and the dysfunctionality in the family that came as a result of David sleeping with Bathsheba. And I made a decision as a young boy, a young teenage boy, I will never, never sleep with anyone but my wife. I will never Cheat on my wife. Now, if you've done that here today, I'm not here to throw stones at you. There's grace and there's a path of healing. But the larger point I'm making here is that God gives us a book full of stories so that we can know how it is that we're to live. We're to cultivate God's wisdom. We're to cultivate God's wisdom. 
A fool or pig rejects the irritant, but the wise man will take this and he'll learn from it. Why? Because we learn wisdom from one of two sources. And maybe jot these down somewhere on the side of your bulletin there if you can find a spot to do that. We learn from others as they teach us God's Word. We learn from others as they teach us God's Word. Um, I, I got ahead of myself there. But there are stories in the Bible that teach us how not to do things. Sometimes a pastor will stand up and tell a story, or a, a, a life group leader will stand up and tell a story, or there will be a conversation you'll have with someone in private where they shared about some poor choices in their life they made, and people that got hurt as a result, and maybe they got hurt as a result, and you step back and you go, you know what, I don't think I'm going to make those same mistakes, because you're learning from their pearls. They're holding up their pearls of wisdom and saying, i made some mistakes along long life's past, and, I'm, and I've learned from those, and here are the pearls of wisdom that I have to offer. And if you're a pig, you'll run them underfoot. If you're wise, then you'll take those and say, yes, I think I'm going to learn and not make that same mistake. The second avenue is we learn on our own by making mistakes and growing as a result. We learn on our own by making mistakes and growing as a result. Um, some of you here have uh, had to learn the hard way, haven't you? How many here are hard-headed? Anybody hard-headed? All right. Um, you're, you're the child that didn't touch the hot stove once. You touched it three times. All right. You kept sticking the fork in the outlet because you liked the little zing you got, right? And, uh, you know, it didn't matter. You know, your mom had to put all the forks up high. Anyway, uh, you're, you're, you're hard-headed. And, and you've got to learn the hard way. And uh, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, sometimes we have to learn life's lessons through the school of hard knocks, right? And you just get clonked around a little bit. And sometimes we learn the hard way because we're not willing to learn the easy way. Now, you may feel, oh, I'm about to help somebody right here. You may feel that life has been unfair to you and you wonder why you have to battle some chronic illness. You wonder why you've got to deal with some wayward child. You wonder why you've got to deal with some nasty coworker. You wonder why you've got this problem, nagging problem in your life that just won't go away. And you wonder if God's there or if He cares. What you're failing to see is that God is developing pearls of wisdom in your life. Those problems, given enough time and handled a godly way, can be great pearls. And you can turn around and help others one day with those pearls. Proverbs 16.16 is a wonderful verse. It says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? Listen to this. And to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. If I ask um, most children and young adults what success looks like, you know what uh, the first answer is? Money. They get the big dollar signs in their eyes, not with one line through the dollar sign, two lines. Because that's more money, you know? Oh, money equals success. How many of you are old enough in life to figure it out that money does not necessarily mean success. You young, hold your hands up. You young people, look around the room. 
Look around the room for me. Look at all the hands. These people have lived life. They Put them down. They know that money does not necessarily mean success. Success does not come from gold or silver or even pearls. Success comes when we love God's Word and we grow in His wisdom and we have the wisdom we need to make the right decisions in life. The depravity of sinners, the discernment of the just. Number three, notice the despising of fools. The despising of fools. Go back to Matthew 7, verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Look here. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now, that last part of the verse is very interesting. Look there with me again. Lest they trample them under their feet. We get that. Pigs have no, no respect or understanding of things that are nice or expensive. But look at the end of the verse. And turn again and rend you. Or turn again and attack you. Attack you. Fools have no need for anything that is worthwhile when it comes to God's Word or wisdom. Letter A, notice their apathy toward truth. Their apathy toward truth. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Let's look at three verses in Proverbs here. We looked at this verse once, but let's look at it again. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Look here. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Oh, let's see here. Brother CJ, do you know where my least favorite place to preach is? I'm picking on him because, uh, not picking on him, but picking him out of the crowd because he's a pastor's kid, grew up a pastor's kid. Christian school chapel. High school Christian school chapel. Now, do you all know why that's my least favorite place to preach? Because those kids have the Word of God in front of them all day, every day, and they don't even want it. Now, I'm not talking about all of them, but I'm talking about 95% of them. You say, man, you're being hard on Christian school kids. I graduated from a Christian school. I went through the whole system, and I've been around the whole system my whole life. I'm qualified to be hard on Christian school kids. They, they, they get preaching all the time. They hear it at church. Many of them are forced to go to church. I mean forced. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. They don't want to be there. And then they sit through Bible class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And they go to chapel on Friday. And they have somebody come in and preach to them. And they sit there and they go, Yeah, okay, I've heard that one before. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. And, and it isn't like I'm exaggerating it. I have stood in many Christian school chapels. And I have preached... My heart out to only watch kids roll their eyes or fall asleep or both. Because they don't want it. Here you are presenting the pearls of wisdom that will help make their life great. And all they can do is yawn and sleep. And it goes in one ear and right out the other. 
They're apathetic toward truth. But you know what I know as a pastor is that it's not just Christian school chapel where I experience people that way. I get people like that that sit on these pews right here at this church. Now, it's not most of you. But there are a handful of you, you're like me. You grew up in church your whole life. You grew up hearing preaching your whole life. Or maybe you got saved as a teenager or young adult, and then you've been in church for 30 or 40 years, and it's like, okay, yep, heard that one before. Mm-hmm, yep, yep, I got, yeah, I even got that verse memorized. Uh-huh, yep, okay, uh-huh, I know that one. Oh, man. He can do better than that. You know what? I think Pastor Lejeune, he needs to go back to the office and rework that sermon. He, he could do better than that. <laughs> and it's written all over your face. I mean, I, I'm not stupid. I didn't fall off the back of the milk cart yesterday. I didn't start preaching, you know, a, a year ago. I've been at this a long time. And your body language and your face tells me, yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't doing it for me. You know what? I could sit there and listen to someone preach, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I could get something out of that. You could stand up here today and you could just read three chapters of the Bible and I would leave and say, God's Word spoke to my heart today because I do not want to be apathetic toward the truth. I want truth to move me and I want truth to change me and I want truth to motivate me. And Listen, I may not be the best preacher on planet earth, but I preach the living Word of God and that ought to be enough. Are you apathetic toward truth this morning? What, what, what breaks my heart... What breaks my heart is I'll stand up here and preach on principles of marriage or principles of parenting or principles of holy living. And I see church members get up and they leave and they go do just the opposite and they're ruining their lives. You're being a pig with, pearl, with pearls. Turn over to Proverbs 16.22 again. Let me ask you a question this morning while you're making your way over there. When was the last time you actually made a change in your daily or weekly habits because the Scripture exposed error in your life. When was the last time you actually changed something about the way you lived? Because here's what happens. I know this because I haven't been a pastor my whole life. And I've done more pew sitting than I have preaching. Is uh, You come into church, you sit there, you absorb the sermon, you go home and nothing changes. And then you come in the next week and you absorb the sermon and you go home and again nothing changes. And you're three years into going to church and really nothing in your life has changed. Is the Word of God quick and powerful? Are you, uh, uh, listen, if you're like me, you're not totally living in truth. All of us have some error in our life. All of us have some sin in our life. And if you're not dealing with sin head on from your scripture reading in the morning or preaching uh, on Sundays, then you're not really all that concerned about the, the pearls of wisdom found in God's Word. Look at Proverbs 16.22. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the instruction of fools is folly. You know what? To, uh, to a, a fool, they look at uh, the instruction of God's Word the way that a pig looks at pearls. To them, it, there's no, they have no use for it. They have no use for it. This is the spirit that yawns during Bible reading checks out during preaching, has little or no interest in a prayer life, and does just enough to get by to keep others off their back. In the heart of a fool, 
uh, is the desire to shrug the shoulders at truth and then let it go in one ear and out the other. Letter A, their apathy toward truth. Letter B, their attack on wisdom. Their attack on wisdom. And you could pencil in and the wise. Their attack on wisdom and the wise. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 7. Look, look at this verse with me. This is a vital verse to the sermon this morning. I, I hope everyone will turn over there with me. We just have two more passages we'll look at. Proverbs 9 and then in a minute we'll look at Proverbs 26 and then we'll be done this morning. Proverbs 9, look at verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner, look here, getteth to himself shame. You reprove a scorner, you get to yourself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man, getteth himself a blot or a stain. Now, what? why does he get to himself shame? Why does he get to himself a blot or a stain? Because scorners are at war against the prudence and the wise who seek to make people better. Listen to me. Scorners are on team full and they're working hard to turn others into fools. Scorners, they mock at those, by the very word of scorn, they scorn or mock at those who uh, want to do right and get others to do right, and they are at war against the prudent guides trying to convince the simple one to come on over here and live with me in the land of wisdom. I'll show you how to balance a checkbook. I'll show you how to love a wife or a husband. I'll show you how to raise godly kids. I'll show you how to have an established life. I'll show you how to read your Bible. I'll show you how to pray. I'll show you how to live. Hey, come with me. I'm going to lead you down a path of life success. Come with me. And the scorners over there going, don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to that girl. Don't listen to that lady. She's wrong. She's wrong. And so they're at war with each other. And you know what the scorner does to, to give a blot? They look for double standards in that wise guide and they club them over the head with it. Did you know that everybody here has a double standard in their life? Every one of us. There's not a person here that if we looked at your life close enough, we couldn't find some hypocrisy in your life. People say, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites. You go to Walmart and there's hypocrites there. <laughs> and you go to work and your boss is a hypocrite and you might be the boss. How come that doesn't stop you? How come it's just church that keeps you from, that the hypocrites keep you from there? Get that garbage out of here. You say, Pastor Lejeune, you a hypocrite? Yeah, probably. If you look close enough, you can find something. And you know what scorners do? They seek until they find that double standard hypocrisy and they pick it up like a stick and they whack you with it. And so when you go correcting a scorner... By the way, how do you know you have a scorner living in your home? Because they're constantly looking for the double standards in every adult they come in contact with. Hey, teenagers, how do you know you have a friend that's a scorner? Because they're constantly saying, such and such is a hypocrite. Such and such is a hypocrite. Such and such is... You're the hypocrite! Listen, I'm not trying to be mean this morning. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 6, that they turn and they rend the person who gave them the pearls. 
Here you have a pastor or a parent who's trying to give you pearls of wisdom and you trample them in the ground and you try to plow the person over who's trying to help you and love you. Now, they're attacking wisdom. They don't want anything to do with it. Turn over to Proverbs 26.4. Proverbs 26.4. The Bible says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest they'll also be like him. Now, verse 5 says you are to answer the fool according to his folly. And you put 4 and 5 together, and what you learn is Solomon is saying here, Have wisdom and discretion on when you do, and don't answer a fool according to his folly. Now, if you're a wise man or a wise woman, and you know how to handle a fool or a scorner, then answer to them their folly. But if you're a simple one and you go answering a fool to their folly, they're going to turn you into one of them. Now, eventually Solomon says that um, they, they, may very well, uh, they may very well turn you into one of them. So how do you handle someone who is in love with the, the, the slop and mud of sin and foolishness? How do you handle them? Look at verse 3. Proverbs 26, look at verse 3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass or the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. I'm about to say something that's highly politically incorrect. Are you ready? Buckle up. Here it goes. Some of you in here need to spank your kids. Bend them over your knee and wear them out. You say, well, I read a book by Dr. Spock years ago that said I'm going to damage my children. You're damaging them by not spanking them. You're deeply damaging them by not spanking them. In fact, the Bible says if you love your child, you'll spank him, and if you hate him, you won't. That's just as much Bible as John 3.16. Now you say, uh, how old is a child? When is a child too old to spank him? I don't know the answer to that question. But I got my last spanking from my father when I was 17 years old. And he made me cry. It hurts, all right? And he didn't raise me to be some, you know, sissy. Um, he, I mean, he wore me out, too. Now, I'm not saying that that's the line, all right? I'm not saying if you've got a 16-year-old at home, you need to spank him. There's some discretion and wisdom in that, all right? Please don't take me out of context. By the way, if you have little kids and you'll spank them consistently and carefully when they're little... You won't need to spank them when they get older. Win those battles when they're two and three years old. And then you'll have a much easier time when they're 12, 13, 14 years old. You say, well, I've got an older child. Or I've got a, a person in my life who's just constantly acting foolish. How do I help them? You don't help them by reasoning with them. You help them by getting out of the way and letting them fall to the hurt of their own Poor choices. Don't enable them. Don't save them. Don't rescue them. Don't be the hammock between them and failure. You have to let them fall and you have to let them hurt. People change when they're miserable. Let's finish the sermon this morning with some concluding thoughts. All right? We're going to throw these on the screen one at a time. I'll give these with little comment. Number one, treat your Bible with great respect. Treat your Bible with great respect. 
This book right here is precious to me. And I mean the materials that make up this book are precious to me. I don't ever lay this on the floor. I don't put books on top of it. If if you come in my office and lay papers down on top of my Bible, I'm going to immediately move them. You say, well, that's extreme. And it might be extreme. But you know what isn't extreme? Taking really good care of your Bible. Some of you here need to go out and you need to buy yourself a physical Bible. Now, I'm not against digital Bibles. I've got Bible apps on my devices. But there's nothing quite like having a physical, tangible Bible. And I'm not against the $5 job at Walmart. I'm not. I'm thankful they're there because I've given a lot of those out. But can I just say, you spend money on things that you value. Do you spend $5 on a big screen TV? Or buy the cheapest big... Some of you in here, I've been in your houses. You've got that 96-inch 8K LG QLED monster of a TV, all right? And you, like, took out an equity loan on your house to pay for it, all right? But those soccer games, let me tell you what. I mean, there's something else. You can spend 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and get yourself a nice Bible, can't you? Value it. Number two. Become familiar with its pages and its truths. Spend time in it every day. You say, I don't understand the Bible when I read it. Just keep on reading. Just keep on reading. Get one of those Bible apps that will read it to you and let that read out loud while you follow along. Some of you in here might not be great readers. Well, let them do the reading and your eyes follow along on the pages. Fall in love with its pages and its truths. Number three, understand that the problems of your life are meant to be pearls of wisdom that you'll one day cherish. Understand that the problems of your life are meant to be pearls of wisdom that you'll one day cherish. I'm not going to comment much here, but the hardest problems I've been through in my life, I did more growing and learning through those than any other time in my life. If you come and meet with me in my office, and you share with me some struggles that you have, and I'm going to sit there and help you, probably a story of, of, of trouble and trial is going to come up from my life. And, and those are used to help others. Number four, come to church with a prepared heart. Come to church with a prepared heart. When the pastor seeks to give out biblical wisdom, cherish it. Don't come to church like I preached earlier where you come in with your arms crossed, bless me if you can, and you leave unchanged. A lot of churches have a come-as-you-are mentality. And we do want you to come as you are. But the problem with churches like that is many folks leave as they were. They come as they are and they leave as they were. There's never any real change. Come to church with a prepared heart. Listen, instead of fighting with your husband or wife on the way to church, why don't you pray with your family on the way to church? Lord, help us to get something out of the Word of God today that will help us be better. And if you'll do that, what you're going to find as you handle holy things with care, you're going to find the entire quality of your life improve. Are you a dog or a pig that just wallows around in the mud of sin? If so, maybe it's time 
for you to start learning to fall in love with God's Word. That begins with salvation. Pastor Andrew saying about the blood of Jesus this morning. The blood of Jesus wants to wash away your sins, but only if you'll invite Him to do so. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person, not because of some set of works or religious structure or denomination. I know I'm going to heaven because the blood of Jesus has washed away my sins. I've asked Jesus to save my soul. If that's your testimony, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? I know, I know I'm going to heaven. I've put my faith and trust in Christ alone. You can put your hands down. There were a handful of people across the room who did not raise their hand. And if that's you, let me just say how thankful I am that you were both honest with yourself and God. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know where I would go if I would die. If I were to die in my sleep tonight, I am not sure if I would enter heaven or hell. I I just don't know. Maybe you know you wouldn't go to heaven. But all the same, I'd like to pray for you. I have no intention of embarrassing you or calling any attention to you. But with everyone else's head bowed and eyes closed, I would like to anonymously pray for you. If you're here today and you do not know for sure where you'd spend eternity or you're certain you wouldn't go to heaven, would you just raise your hand right where you are so I could pray for you? Is there one? Is there one? I see that hand. Is there one? I do not know where I would spend eternity. Is there anyone else? I'm just not sure. Would you please pray for me? How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, God has spoken to my heart through the preaching this morning. There's some area in my life I need to make a specific decision today. I don't want this to be another Sunday where I come in and go out with nothing really changing. Pastor, God has spoken to my heart. Would you please pray for me that I'll hold my decision today? If that's you, would you just hold up your hand where you are? God's working in my heart through the preaching this morning. Here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? Many hands. You can put those down. How many of you would say, lastly, Pastor, I'm going through some very challenging times in my life right now. And I just would like to pat my pastor to pray for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm going through some challenging circumstances. Hold them up so I can see each hand. I want to take a a moment and just make sure I see each hand. And so this week I pray for you. I see those hands. You can put them down. Lord God, today would you work in our hearts during this invitation? Lord God, would you help us to make decisions that stick and last? May we not be fools. May we not be that dog returning to his vomit or that pig who has that foolish set of values. Help us to be just. Help us to cherish God's Word. Help us to cultivate godly wisdom. And Lord God, I pray for any scorner in the room today that you would get their attention. Help them to no longer value slop, but Lord, to value those things which are precious. Lord, speak with each heart this morning. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name.